I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. My guest is Ethan Brown, founder of Beyond Meat, a company that makes meat using plant protein instead of animal-based protein. The goal is to make a healthier product that looks and tastes and smells like chicken or beef using fewer natural resources and reducing the amount of pollutants. The single largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions is livestock. Roughly 1,800 gallons of water is used to make one pound of steak. Ethan launched Beyond Meat in 2009, and the company's products are found in stores across the United States, including Whole Foods and Walmart. Ethan is originally from Washington, D.C. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. I want to start by talking about meat's issues. Can you um, give me some more detail around that? If you look at human health and you look at you know, heart disease, diabetes, and cancer, you know, there's a growing recognition that there's a link between meat consumption and, and those uh, health epidemics. Uh, and you know, the World Health Organization probably did the most definitive work most recently where they put um, meat in, in, a, in a category, processed meat in a category that was the same as, um, as cigarettes. But then you go to, to climate. When animals are breathing, they're emitting carbon. And so it seems like a minor issue, but if you think about the number of animals we have on the Earth's surface and the fact they're all breathing, and you add that up, you actually come up with about 14% of greenhouse gas emissions being attributed to, to actually just the fact that animals are on their surface in such numbers and are breathing. And you look at natural resources. All across the country, we're having you know, resource issues of one kind or another, depending on where you live. And then last, you look at animal welfare. Now, people on a handheld can see how their food's being made. And I think more and more people are saying, you know, I'm not in agreement with that particular system. You said just the fact that the animals breathe yields a certain amount of carbon. Well, what about human beings? I mean, yeah. we breathe carbon dioxide, and of course that yields, that helps with photosynthesis. Yeah. But is there an amount of carbon even beyond that that yeah. also leads to, well, so, has so, a de- deleterious effect? To put it in context, you know, we, we raise and we slaughter about 66 billion animals a year, right? So think, you know, the, the human population is big, but it's a tenth of that, right? You know, so so uh, that's the issue. So why isn't there more regulation? We think of the auto industry, for example, highly regulated to decrease uh, the amount of pollution that it yields. Why has not the same amount of regulation uh, existed in agribusiness? Is it just because of the strong lobbyists? You know, it's a really interesting question, and I think it goes deeper than that. Um, I mean, certainly that is a factor. It's one thing to, you know, put a new app out or, or, you know, I always talk about the landline versus the cell phone and that quick transition we had. It's another thing to change how we eat protein, right? I mean, it is protein was such an important part of, of, of how we evolved. Prior to even when we were, you know, homo sapiens, meat played an enormously important role in, in our development. You know, if you think about the human brain when we started to consume meat, it was about 600 cubic centimeters. You know, over the course of revolution, and I think largely due to nutrient-dense food uh, that meat is, uh, it grew to about 1,300 cubic centimeters, right? And what was happening was not only were we getting this really good nutrition, right, but it was uh, reducing the workload on our stomachs. So all that excess energy could go to our brains. It would be unwise for me to say that people shouldn't eat meat. I think that's a mistake, right, because I believe that meat is central to who we are. Um, what I do think is possible and really exciting is that you can get away from the idea that meat has to come from an animal. And with the science we have and the understanding we have today of what meat is, you can build a piece of meat directly from plants. So if we ask you know, anybody, well, what is meat? They'd say, oh, it's uh, the tissue that comes from an animal. Yes. So how would you define meat? You know, the historical understanding, right, is, you know, and, and more, more recently uh, is, you know, chicken has to come from a, like a, a meat has to come from a chicken, cow, or pig. The composition of meat is something different, 
right? The composition of meat is basically amino acids, it's lipids, it's very small amount of carbohydrates, it's trace minerals, and it's water, and it's predominantly water. Mm-hmm. You know, that list of things that I just presented, none of those are exclusive to the animal. They're all present in plants. So let's say you take a pea plant. Right. Uh, walk me through how that pea becomes a, a ersatz chicken right. strip. So you take the pea, and you basically mill it, and you have to separate the, uh, the protein uh, from the fat. So what you do is you put an aqueous solution, a water-based solution in place, where um, you change the pH levels, and that will separate out the protein from the carbohydrates and from the fat. Where do you get your plants now? The peas that we use are actually grown in, in Canada and grown in France. But it's not about the particular plant. It's really about the idea that the plant kingdom is a source of amino acids, right? And so if you think about it that way, there's an enormous number of plants that we could use to, to, to take protein from. And it's it really interesting ones, like cottonseed has great protein. We would never do this, but tobacco leaves has a pretty good source of protein, right? Um, lupin, camelina, mustard seed is one of my favorites. So there's all these different places you can pull protein from. So anyway, so, so we mill it, we, it, it's, 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 it's crushed basically, it, it's separated. Right, and and this is done by a supplier of ours, and then we we take that that protein, right, and we run it through a really simple process of heating, cooling, and pressure. And the machine is an extruder is, that exactly. does the heating and the cooling and the pressure. Exactly. In. Yeah. Is anything lost by changing the uh, the shape of the protein? You know, I think of like boiling broccoli; you lose so much of the nutrients rather than steaming it. Right. Right. What's cool is that it's basically been stripped down to its protein. Right, mm-hmm. and so you're just changing the form. You're stitching it together in a new way, but there's not some sort of fundamental conversion where it becomes a lesser protein. So you're trying to mimic meat. Have Have you thought of calling it something else? Because in a way, maybe when you started out, you thought, "Well, how can I re- make a replacement for meat?" But aside from those people who have been eating meat uh, who are alive, I mean, there, you have new generations of people being born. Yeah. You could call it plant yeah. or whatever word you want to put to it. <laughs> My mother is after me for the exact same thing. Every time we talk about it, she said, why are you trying to? I'm like, well, uh, <laughs> um, because uh, what we talked about uh, with respect to the role that meat has played in our culture, uh, I'm really focused on providing a absolutely convincing piece of meat just yeah. made from plants. Yeah. So I want to go back to the early days. Uh, you graduated uh, from Columbia Business School and went to work at Ballard pa- Power Systems, which is a fuel cell company uh, making clean batteries, basically. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, clean fuel cells, yeah. So you've, you've always had kind of this con- conservation ethos. Um, how, where did that arise? It certainly comes from my dad. When I was growing up, uh, you know, I always think about my dad in this way: that, that have you ever seen a deer like in Central Park? Like they just don't belong. They're like scared. They're like, I gotta get out of here. That's like that's my dad. <laughs> he hates the city, and so every chance he got, he would pack our car up and he would drive us out to our farm. But he taught me there uh, about the natural world, and I fell in love with it. My dad is a professor. He's at McGill now, but when I was a kid, uh, he was at the University of Maryland. We have a farm in the western part of the state that was supposed to be a hobby farm. We turned it into a real business where we had uh, Holstein dairy cattle, about 100 head of Holstein dairy cattle. At what point did you start thinking about this idea of meat replacement? What was the catalyst for getting to this topic? Uh, It took me a really long time. Um, and really about courage, I think, uh, first and foremost, and, and a willingness to, to let my own heart speak to, to who I am versus what I thought people thought I should be. Um, what did you think they thought you should be? Um, so I uh, you know, had like formal training and, and was like very focused on climate through energy. 
I just felt that it wasn't serious enough to like go start like some kind of tofu factory. <laughs> like, but I had this sense that you know there was something amiss. You started reading about livestock and the meat industry, and you came across a paper written by two professors at the University of Missouri, Fu Hong She and Harold Huff. Yeah. What was their paper about, and how did you find them? I was thinking about how do I get into this field. So I started to uh, make some small investments in, in restaurants that were doing well uh, serving plant-based food. And everything that we were doing, we had to basically disguise the product in something. I, I just began to think about the science behind it. So there's no reason that you need to run all this through an animal. And so I started reading. And it's really a story about the Internet. I mean, I like literally would just stay up at night and read whatever I could find. Right? And um, over time, I came over across uh, what Fu Hung was doing and what, what Harold was doing. And I called them up and, and said, hey, I'd like to come out and talk to you. At what point did you decide, okay, we're going to partner and I'm going to license the technology from right. you? So they, they had actually, you know, this extrusion has been around for a long time. What they did was develop a, basically a set of variables uh, that the, it was, let's think about it like a lock on a safe. Like, you know, you can know that you have to have three numbers there. But if you don't know the sequence and everything else or the numbers, you're kind of stuck. And so they found the exact right combination of heating, cooling, pressure that I felt created this really realistic muscle form, this mm-hmm. restitching a protein into muscle form. I would basically produce as much as I possibly could in a day at the University of Missouri in their lab. Right? And then uh, we would take it back. I would take it back to Maryland. I would fly back you know, hundreds of pounds of chicken. And we didn't have a place to store it, so I would put ice in my bathtub. So you would just uh, jump on a commercial airplane with yeah, yeah. with a, a sack of uh, yeah. chicken? And there's funny episodes like where some, one, once it opened in the overhead and started falling out chicken, and Southwest was like, what's wrong with you? You can buy those big bags from Southwest for like 35 bucks. So mm-hmm. I would show up at the airport with as cold as I could keep it. Stored so, in the overhead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, sometimes the, the, the um, boxes would open, and people like, what are you carrying? Why do you have all this chicken? I'd be like, very flattered. I'd be like, thank you for asking that way. But um, Glad you think it's chicken. Yeah, exactly. But to answer about how did I license it was really interesting. And, we were working on this for a long time. I was up at our, our, our farm, and um, our neighbor, my neighbor came over to me and said, uh, I just read about this chicken that's being developed in the University of Missouri. I was like, wait, that's the project I'm working on. But Time Magazine had run an article, and the sort of press office of the University of Missouri had orchestrated it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was like, I called up Harold, and I said, Harold, what are you doing? Like, this is, we, we were partners. He said, you know what? Uh, they were under very sharp orders to, to basically just do this, to not communicate it, et cetera. But you know what? They were like, they got inundated with calls. Like all these big corporations wanted to license it. Absolutely incredible to me. Harold Fuhung and the tech transfer office at Missouri was like, we already got a guy. Mm. And they gave me a license. I mean, isn't that amazing? So at the time that you got the license through this kind of backdoor way, thanks to Time Magazine, (laughs) was it basically you and how many others were you working with in Maryland? Right. So we had a very small team. So I started the business um, and almost immediately started importing what I felt was the very best protein that I could find. Uh, and that came out of Asia because Asia, the, the Buddhist temples, they've done a lot of work on this for hundreds of years, right? And so I started to import uh, from a Taiwanese company a basic protein uh, that was like beef, right? And it was you know, soy and wheat. It wasn't very sophisticated, but um, I began to sell it to Whole Foods. We we would run it through um, very large kettles in a, in a kitchen that we uh, rented out um, in the evenings from a restaurant. Um, and would sell it into to Whole Foods prepared foods uh, section. Now, how did you get into Whole Foods? I mean, you don't have a background in, uh, in right. you don't have these relationships. 
Persistence. Absolutely. Uh, you just call and call and call. When did you get your first investors and who were they? I uh, funded the early part of the company. So How I, much? Like, yeah, I don't have the figure with me, but yeah, but, yeah far more than like over $100,000 for sure. And then uh, raised money from friends and, and family. And then I got the license and then I sent a note out to basically every venture firm that I could find. Right. And you didn't have any relationships pre-existing. No, no, mm-hmm. no. And this is from Western Maryland that yeah. you were writing to Kleiner Perkins. I did write and... to Kleiner, yeah. I, I emailed, and I remember the title of my email was a Prius for the plate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was, was not, not super effective, though. Um, <laughs> but, but Kleiner uh, reached out to Missouri independently. Um, and Missouri connected with me, and I've been through some tough, tough times with them, and I, I just I can't say enough good things about them. You were their first food-based investment. Yeah. Can you give me some more color on that first encounter? Sure. Two partners there, um, Ray Lane and then a junior partner named uh, Moldespande, were the ones that looked at the company, and even they had to convince their own partners, like, this made sense, right? And, you know, it was sort of there was some kind of derisive perspectives on the company that, you know, this is sort of fake meat. What are you doing? But Ray was, and, and others on the board have always been there and said, no, let's, let's, get, let's get this done. Bill Gates is an investor. The Twitter founders, Ev Williams and Biz Stone mm-hmm. are, are investors. Yep. How did they come to be a part of this? I met Biz through Kleiner. And Bill Gates? Yeah, same thing. I mean... Uh, through you know, Kleiner. Yes. When we first had the meeting with him, I can remember being brief that, you know, he's going he's gonna to zero in on some sort of mathematical part of your presentation and ask you to do it, you know. And so I, I, like, studied, relentlessly studied my presentation to make sure that I wasn't caught off guard by some statistic or something. All the guy I wanted to talk about was his family, <laughs> how good the food was. He was, like, the nicest guy. Uh, so it was a wonderful meeting, and um, and we've gotten to know him you know, fairly well throughout this. So. so I want to talk about the actual meat. What did it taste like when you first started off, and now what does it taste like? Sure. I think what we got right in the beginning was the underlying texture of meat, so that, that kind of striation and that resistance that you get when you bite into a piece of meat. But the um, taste wasn't there, but the taste, texture was there. No, the taste wasn't there. The you know, dis- distribution of fat was not there. Oh, yeah, the aroma was not there. The overall appearance was not there. It's still not there, actually. And so, yeah, I, again, it was like the whole balance of parts was missing. And so it's interesting. We kept working with food scientists to try to overcome that. But I feel that the real breakthrough that happened for us uh, was when we started to bring in a scientist from other disciplines, a fellow from from Stanford, Jody Puglisi, um, who's the chair of the molecular biology department at Stanford Medical. That started to make real breakthroughs. Was there a breakthrough moment technologically on a chemical level? Yeah, for sure. The distribution of um, of fat and water, for example. So we can take a um, a, a piece of chicken, a chicken breast, or, or or a piece of beef, and put it under an MRI like you would your knee, and you can begin to study and understand exactly how water, fat, and, and protein are distributed. As you gain that more fundamental understanding, you can improve your products. Hmm. And so we didn't have that in the beginning. Any yeah. other example like that? So there's 600 molecules. There's 600 molecules that give the flavor uh, and aroma of meat, right? We have a, a system that allows us to try to identify what are the key drivers of those 600. But it's not only it's not only the, the presence of the molecules, how are they combining and reacting under heat? What has been harder for you than you thought? What in terms of building the business was harder for you than you thought? Getting out of the meat alternative section. Meal turn section is not where you want to be. It's just a penalty box. It's a it's a forgotten. Where would you like to be? In the meat case, which is where we are now. So we we got into the meat case at Whole Foods, which has been transformational for our business. I mean, absolutely transformational. If you're looking at that in the um, frozen section versus what we sell in the fresh meat case, we sell about 13 times more 
in the fresh meat case because that's where consumers buy meat. Speaking of Whole Foods, uh, there was a recall, I think, in 2014. Yeah. They were selling curry awesome. chicken, and accidentally they used uh, your chicken, chicken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> instead of uh, animal-based protein chicken. Yeah. Yeah. What happened? It was, yeah, for, for, for I think three days or so, um, they sold a, a basically prepared curry chicken dish. And, and so consumers were, were eating our product thinking it was animal protein and eating animal protein thinking it was our product. And they just got the labels wrong. Someone in the kitchen just got two bags and got the labels wrong. Um, and I think what that speaks to is when you put those early products of ours into something, they are pretty indistinguishable from, from animal protein. But so, na- naked, they're not. Did any of the consumers realize that it wasn't? Uh, I don't know how it became discovered. I think someone finally realized the tags were wrong or something. That's uh, ironically good press it for It was you. a very good compliment, yeah. And yeah. any anything happened from that in terms of sales or? Uh, no, one of, the, one of the big things that happened at that point in the company was I think a couple, like six months prior to that, a guy named Mark Bittman wrote a, a really flattering piece about the company and was on the front page of the Sunday Review in the New York Times. That changed everything for us. So Mark Bittman being the food critic yes. for the Times. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so he came out to, we were, at that time we were at a, a, a we, had a, we took over a, uh, we took over a kitchen in an abandoned hospital in, in, in Western Maryland. And Bittman, through a friend of mine, Kathy Freston, had um, connected with me and said, I want to come see what you're doing. I actually went to his apartment and we, we served, we made him dishes of, um, our product and an animal protein equivalent. Where's it in, in Manhattan? Manhattan, yeah. And and we asked him to differentiate between which ones. And he, he had trouble telling us. Like, it was seven dishes. He couldn't figure out which is which. He said, I want to come out and see how you do this. So he came out to the facility, drove him out there, and uh, he did this great piece, video, everything. And uh, and that, for me, I think, put the company on the map. How would your parents describe you? Um, my mom once said that uh, I'm big and can lift a lot. <laughs> uh Metaphorically? Metaphorically. Um, Is that what she meant? Y- no, I oh. think she actually physically meant it. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think they, I'm not sure. You know, I was a little bit of, um, there was a little bit of kind of um, Huck Finn. Like I, I, the classes I didn't want to pay attention to, I didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't become a really good student until I was in college. But uh, curious and, and mm-hmm. kind of full of life, I think, would be how, how I'd be described as a kid. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, sure. My guest has been Ethan Brown, founder of Beyond Meat. If you would like to learn more about the show, please visit our website at fromscratchradio.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Jess G. Harris or find us on Facebook. I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. <laughs>